0: What's up, ladies and gentlemen? It is Tuesday, April 26, and this is episode 24 of the 9x9, the 81 square meters of the best volleyball coverage on the internet. My name is Norm, joined as always by Rob St. Clair. No Dan Neely this week. He is hanging out uh, in the Rockies right now, visiting Jasper, visiting Banff, having a bit of a vacation, here, and he deserves it. So, Rob, we're going back to OG times. It's just going to be you and me. And it's been a spicy week of volleyball playoffs across multiple countries have been absolutely ludicrous uh we are on the onset of the ncaa men's volleyball tournament as well that we're going to talk about we got a little bit of vla there's a lot of stuff going on right now and uh, i for one could not be more excited
1: i am right there with you my friend and last week we were talking on this very show about similar items of spiciness across the european playoffs but there are there's some legitimate violence involved When we were talking about it last week we had a lot of drama to go over this This week uh yeah no violence just back back to back to straight up volleyball and uh, you and dan did a good job on the podcast on the 5-1 crossover volleyball source podcast the other day breaking down a couple things so as we jump into italy here we're going to focus on the two game fours only you guys already talked about the game threes We'll talk about the game fours. And the moral of the story is we are going to see not one, but two, two deciding game fives in the Italian men's semifinals. Let's start with Lube trying to complete the reverse sweep of Trentino. They go down 06 in the first two matches. They sweep them in match three. They win match four, three to one. And now this is absolutely anybody's series. It's been a crazy, crazy turnaround from Lube. Everett, what do you think the difference has been since going down six sets to none, like, seemingly yesterday? To me, it's all about offensive pressure. And, I mean, if you watch their offense from game
0: one and two to greater their offense now, I mean, I think we discussed it a little bit last week, or maybe it was on the show uh, on Friday with Dan, but they're spreading their offense out way more. They're pushing it to the pins. And the pace at which Dacheco is setting is unreal he's really pushing the pace doesn't matter if he's running an inside shoot doesn't matter if he's going to the outside there's no high lazy balls anymore and it seemed kind of for a while that and i think maybe the uh, is not great at this, but he sometimes gets into the bit of a, a lackadaisical style. Like he's a very creative setter. He might get there, lay it with his feet, and just kind of flick it there because he's good with his hands. But man, he is running that offense. And then the rest of the team has also just come with fire. Their in, in defensive intensity has been notched up way more in games three and four than games one and two. And ultimately, it, it's been a complete 180 turnaround from what we've seen game one to two to three to four.
1: It has, and that, that the setting point is exactly what I wanted to bring up, too. You're seeing Luciano DiCecco get back to what he really, really does best. I don't know what what Blengini must have said to him or what he must have figured out between match two and match three, but they really looked offensively like a completely different team, and, and it, that obviously starts with the setter. There was a play, man, it was, it was really one of the craziest highlights I've ever seen. You guys talked on the podcast the other day about Lucarelli's resurgence, going, what is it? 12 for 14 in match three and he was absolutely 12 for liked, 13 92 efficiency ridiculous Unreal. so like that's that's a huge turnaround when you have a world-class outside hitter who's been invisible like come back to playing like a world-class outside hitter but the uh Rally 12 for 21 in this one that's pretty good mm-hmm. there was a play that i saw on instagram it's it's i think it's still up on my instagram right now go check it out of of a transition play that lube made where simone was serving he cut a ball short and Dechecco was blocking in the front court. Him and Lucarelli switched wings. So they put Lucarelli on the right and DeCecco blocking on the left, which we've seen them do before. We, they actually did it a lot against Zoxa when they played in Champions League pools. And so Lucarelli blocks the ball. Trentino covers it. They have to send over a free ball. Then, in the most lightning-fast transition I may have ever seen, Lucarelli books it all the way over from position two to position four. Gets all the way from pin to pin, like runs along the three-meter line, and DiCecco... Standing like in the middle of the court, like dishes him a back shoot to the outside where he ripped it. And like no other team on the planet could have pulled that off. It's, it's D'Checo. And one of the things I've always loved about Lucarelli's game is how unbelievable he is in transition footwork. He's just, just tremendously good at that. And that play was Lube at its best. And if they're not going to have Osmani Wantarena, which again, he did not see the floor, he has yet to see the floor at all in this series. They didn't even get Ivan Zaitsev on that good of a day. 10 for 24, six errors ended up being benched for Gabi Garcia, who then came in. And because of the foreigner limit, they had to take out Marlon Yant and put in Giri Kovar for the Italian, because he's Italian. Kovar passed the ball well enough and went, I guess, four for 10 in, in limited action. And they were still able to win like that. And it's, it really comes down to the offense for me. Robert Landy Simone, 13 for 21 outstanding classic Simone match with five blocks and two aces. So on the Lube side, there's a really strong turnaround, but what are you seeing from Trentino about why they all of a sudden are fighting further about to be fighting for the life in match five. When just about a week ago, we were saying the series was over. Well, that that's definitely the other side, right? And that there's,
0: it's kind of both sides were on one side. Lube has turned it on the other side. Trentino kind of really starting to show that wear and tear. And I mean, when you look at yeah. how many matches they've played, how many big matches they've played, you know, including Champions League, you know, maybe it's a little bit better that Lube, like Lube is a little bit fresher. They lost in the quarterfinals of Champions League, right? They didn't have to play the, the semifinals. Plus, you know, Dan and I talked about it a little bit on, on the podcast about how much Lavia and Micheleto, and more so have, have have played with this team. Right when you go to the the Olympics and the uh, under 21 world champs and Euros, and going all the way to the uh, Champions League final last year, and all, all of the runs that they've been doing, that's been so much volleyball. And we're seeing right now a disconnect in the offense between Micheletto and Lavia and Spertoli. Sometimes he's setting them a little inside, it's, it's a little fast the outside. And I've always noticed that you know, we talked about um, Lucarelli's transition footwork but Micaleto especially in system his footwork is usually so good and it's so hard to be a lefty on the left side and he does it so well but there's just all of these times when he's not adjusting and he's kind of reaching for the ball and he's he's reaching outside there's a few times too where he's getting good sets and he's just completely whiffing them and to me he just looks tired out there uh and and the same thing with Lavia so they're they're they're, they're really relying right now on Kaziski um, to carry them. And I think maybe Kaziski is, is a little bit fresher, hasn't playing any any national team stuff. He's a little bit more experienced and he's able to react a little bit more to what is looking like a bit of an erratic setting from Spertoli. He's got a really good connection down the middle right now, but the outside, the connection to his outsides just isn't really there. And that's really dangerous when you're working with three different outsides, right? It's not like they have a traditional right side where he can just flick a high right side ball to and let mash away. So it's, it's, very interesting to see how they're struggling right now with some, I would say, slightly upsetting spiritually.
1: That's, that's a really good point. The, the, one of the things about the 3 outside hitter system that Trentino runs, and sometimes at various levels, when you have a setter who has to adjust to two significantly different four-ball sets, like to the outside, they can struggle with that, connecting with two very different style guys. Spiritually, has to connect with three. And Kaziski, Mikoletto, and Lavia do not hit the same left side ball. So that is not an easy challenge especially for Micheleto, a setter. Right? Especially Mikeletto, obviously, contact point being left-handed. But yeah, I, I think that Spertoli's consistency of location hasn't quite been as good the last couple of games. Mikoletto, ten for thirty-two, blocked four times, four balls hit out of bounds, is a very ununicorn like stat line. Like that's that's atypical for him. And there's there's a chance that fatigue is starting to play a factor, but I think it's it's a little more so the setting connection because Matei Kaziski at age 37, leads the team in attempts in game four, 43 attempts, and goes 27 for 43. So he's not having any issues out there. And no, sure, not. sure, he didn't play national team over the summer. But if there's a guy who I would expect to be affected by fatigue, it would be the old guy. So I think it's, it, it, I, I think Spertoli's got got a little bit of work to do here. But as good as as much as we praise Lauren Zetti as a coach. the uh, the last couple weeks in the Champions League series and et cetera, I feel like he's going to still put them in a position to be at least in the right, create the right matchups and have it come down to player execution. I don't see what Lorenzetti getting out coached and I think he'll have spiritually ready to go. It seems to
0: me like right now, partly what's happening is that, uh, Lube is forcing Trentino to play their style. They're playing fast, they're playing creative, and they're really pushing the pace, and they're kind of bullying Trentino with the pace. And I almost wonder if that's what's getting into Spertoli's head, you know, is that he's losing that center battle to DiCecco, and he's kind of he's kind of rushing things a little bit, um, and trying to run that fast offense instead of just being the steady Trentino that, that we know them to be. Because, I mean, this has been a, a stark turnaround. Um, one thing to note, so far in the playoffs, six—it's been six and two in favor of the away team in in the semifinals yeah. right now in Italy. So um, they're going back to they're going back to Lube, and they're going back to Perugia, uh, the, the next game that we're, that we're talking about next. Do we think that Trentino has the advantage going into the Lion's Den uh, against Lube tomorrow?
1: they they did it against Perugia in Champions League I don't see any reason why they can't do it against Lube here it is very very strange the the total lack of home court advantage in both semifinal series that's very very atypical especially mm-hmm. as like full capacity crowds are coming back to Italy which is great to see so that that's a little that's a bit of a head scratcher I'm curious to see if that holds true tomorrow and uh, the other semifinal that is happening tomorrow game 5 a series that's kind of brought more drama match to match, but not nearly as dramatic of a turnaround as the series we just talked about. But, Ywandi Leal for Modena returned in this match. Modena at home had a great opportunity to put Perugia away and they couldn't quite do it. 20, 20 stuff blocks for Perugia in the five-set win on the road and in both the matches that Perugia has won in this series, they have blocked the ball extremely well we've kind of talked about this year we've assumed that their path to success is from the service line which i mean of course they, they have three at least world-class servers but when they really have the most success is when they're not ripping ace serves it's when they're when you see those volumetric stats where the opposing team's first ball side out percentage is bad or their perfect pass percentage is bad and then Perugia's block can really work to, to full effect soleil five blocks Gianelli the setter four blocks Ricci four Anderson three Leone Rikliski, two apiece like that is a ton of blocking from every one of your blockers so that was the real number that stood out to me from this uh, from this game 4 Oh absolutely their blocking
0: is is not only the the, the key to their their uh, defense, but it's also the key to their offense and why they're so good in transition right now. Because they're setting that block so much, so much. And we're talking about block points, but the amount of times they just slowed Modna down, right? And and especially with uh, with Namir. Namir's a, a hitter who loves to challenge a block and he loves swinging at hands. And I find that they're doing such a good job at allowing those touches to happen, but not get tooled off them like that much. It's it's still going to happen, right? You're not going to prevent Namir from scoring, but they're doing a really good job at controlling those touches. And then in turn, being able to uh, convert those into transition opportunities. Um, Perugia right now looked, I mean, the thing is, is that this match looked s- severely even, right? It was, it there was a few really lopsided did. sets and we were all tied up at 11-11. Modna made a serving error uh, and then Leon went, went back to the line and ripped two aces, and up, all of a sudden, the next thing you know, it was it was fourteen eleven. Modena scored a point, but like it, it, it was too late. So it really it, it feels like kind of Modena let one get away from them. Especially they were down two one. They played so well in that fourth set to, to to bring it back. They were down early in the fifth set. They brought it back to even. They battled back and forth, and just not finding that extra level and, and kind of letting Leon have the best of them at the at the end of that match but it, it was a close one
1: no no shame for Modena of letting Leon get the best of him late from the service line that's happened to every single team he's ever played against but the interesting thing for me is we were we made we've made so much of a deal in this series about Yuandi Leal him, uh playing phenomenally well in in the first match getting suspended coming back in this one but having to be benched in the third because of either poor play or knee soreness or a combination of the two. So sure enough, mm-hmm. like off the bench in the third and for the rest of the match, we saw Martin Van Garderen again, and we made it, which we, we made a huge deal about you on delay all because we know that Modena is the least deep of these final four teams. They have, they really, really miss out on a lot when they lose one of those three starting wings. You and Dan did a good job talking about that, and I thought that Leal coming back, and especially Modena playing at home, they that was their chance. That was their chance to win the series, and they did not. Now, I now I think this is Perugia's series to lose. I, I really think they're going to get get it done tomorrow, and like it's been such a close back and forth thriller of a series. But another thing that you guys said on the podcast the other day, Dan made the point when you were talking about Germany, the most coachable skill in high-level volleyball is blocking. And Nikola Gerbic, just like you were talking about, not just stuff blocks, which, I mean, 20 is a ridiculous number, but block touches. The reason why Peru is so good in transition blocking and blocking based on opposing matchups is a coachable thing. And because Modena just doesn't run their offense through the middle of the court that much, Perugia's blocking job is a little bit easier. And that is a gigantic advantage. So I think the only thing that Modena might be able to do in match five tomorrow is serve the lights out here. They had, they had four aces to 26 errors, which is a terrible ratio. And the fact they even went to five with that is insane, but all four of those aces came in the first set. They didn't have a single ace the rest of the match after that. They're going to need a much, much better serving performance uh, if they're going to get this done. Also, like three of those aces were from Lorenzo Sala, and he got all three of them in a row. Yeah, like, that, was, like, that was a which was gnarly. Election. Yeah, that was yeah. a sick little it was, run. It was like... crazy, too, because he went to the sideline,
0: got an ace, cut it cut it short, got right, an one ace, and then, then got went line, down yeah. the middle. He went for the <laughs> – yeah. you know sprayed like a garden hose there. And it, was, it was pretty awesome. Um, you know, just going back to the Leal versus uh, Van Garderen thing, it was really interesting because Leal was only was only his efficiency was two sixty seven, so very very average efficiency. You're expecting that, you know, you're expecting to be losing when you put Van Garderen in, but Van Garderen came in like a like a firing bullet. Dude, 9-14. dude's efficiency was a five seven one. 9 kills on 14 attempts. That was just unreal. 64% kill percentage. Dude, now, huge
1: credits to Van Garderen for keeping Moden massive. in the series because he played like yeah. hot garbage in game 2 and his turnaround in game 3 without all was a big reason why Moden won. I think he gets a lot of credit. Absolutely. Now it's funny that you're talking about the middle because I found that Bruno did such a good
0: job especially in the fourth set at opening things up with the middle. He he runs. He runs um Daddy Stankovic pretty much solely when when uh, he's stacked in two and he's coming around and he always runs him on that thirty one and, and he cuts it back always, to the right every yeah, time yeah and they yeah. always they always forget about him and he always comes around and that's his his favorite run but then all of a sudden in set number four. Bruno started running Stankovic on just straight up quicks and right. back quicks. And it was really like, they were really messing, messing things up. And there was a few bad blocking sequences for Perugia where they were just completely left standing. I really wish we could like break down film because I'd love to break down how Bruno yeah. was, was, was successful with it. Um, so to me, they really need to, like, like, I'm going to double down on what you said, Rob, about needing to utilize the middle in the next match, because like that's, that's hundred percent what they need to do. My question to you is do you give Leal the start or do you give Van Garderin the start?
1: If Leal is healthy, you gotta start him. Uh, you've gotta start him because if Perugia gets a good serving day, you're hitting a lot of out of system balls. You just have to have to have two legitimate wing options in every rotation. And mm-hmm. if you're out of system and you have Van garderin on the floor, you just don't have that. So I start Leal okay. if he's healthy, but I mean we we, it was, we might see the very same sequence we saw in this match. If he comes in, starts, plays mediocre or worse, then you, you bring Van Garderen in because he's given uh, Gianni a lot more reason to be confident in him after the poor performance in Game 2. And the, the, p- the point you made about the middle is good because Modena actually does run middle in transition, uh, often enough and very effectively, they just never, ever use it inside out for some reason. So mm-hmm. that might, I think that's the adjustment that you're talking about in the fourth set and something that maybe Bruno takes a little bit more so that we're not looking at 20 more Perugia blocks and just like a game, game over sort of series in the fifth.
0: Yeah, it's it's going to be really interesting moving forward. But I mean, you talk about Leal's like, do we know at all that layout has an injury is, is or is just purely speculation? No, that's that's person? what I heard. That that's what oh, I heard. Okay.
1: I, I heard he had some some knee discomfort. So I, I oh, don't okay. know the don't know the nature of it. But that uh, that to me it it seems odd for him to have an injury considering he's had the past two <laughs> off and he very you know, good he's point.
0: presumably be been resting so um maybe that's just kind of like oh yeah i've got some knee soreness but hey i'm just actually playing like shit and we need to we need to cover cover for me because the, you know the ben simmons just, excuse <laughs> yeah exactly like i i just got a four game suspension that was reduced to due for doing some pretty stupid shit so i kind of need to save the face a little. that that's, yeah, that's kind of what that that seems to me be to me to. but well that but, remains knows, to be but, seen
1: in game five and now, this, this comes to the complaining and the ranting portion of the show, Everett, because we have Uh-oh. tomorrow, Okay, yes, tomorrow, the two best matches of the season. Actually, <sighs> the three, the three biggest matches of the season, because the women's deciding game in the one really good semifinal is also tomorrow. All three matches are at the same time. Every one of them is a 2.30 p.m. on Wednesday, the 27th start time. Why? Why on earth would you do this to the fans? Why? What What are we supposed to do trying to follow this? You have the three most important matches in Italy this season. Maybe, okay, maybe you only follow men's or women's. We follow both. I want to watch all three of those games. How am I supposed to do that if all three of them have first served at the same time? What is the benefit to doing that? You're destroying, destroying your fans' experience and your own viewership, Italy, what are we doing here? Oh, sorry. I was just plugging in my laptop because it's about to die, but
0: um you know why die. I'm about to die. If they, you know they why, all These
1: scheduling mistakes is the and, same thing on
0: Sunday morning. The, the thing is, it's, it's not a mistake though. The reality is, is that in North America, we're used to scheduling like that because TV is king. Right. And they have the, they have all of the, all of the scheduled games. Right. And it, makes more money for a national broadcaster to to broadcast these matches na- nationally and then all of the other ones are gonna be going to the regional broadcaster, right? Whereas in Italy, where regardless of what's going on, there's only ever one match a day that is going to be broadcasted on Ray, it doesn't matter. Right? They don't care that the second match isn't going to be available because it's gonna be available online and they don't really care. Like this this goes back to, I mean, like hey, three boomers in a trench coat. Right. The people who run volleyball are old and they still in their number one thinking it's, hey, we need to cater to our in-house crowd. And let's be honest. Right. Because the the other ga- if you start the other game at six, that's not ideal on a Wednesday night right that's a that's a crappy time to have a have a game start on a, on a Wednesday night so maybe let's put one game on a Tuesday the other game on a Wednesday like it's not that much difference give them an extra day but before the next series starts like it's ridiculous that we're having all all three games right spread them out put the put one game each day put it on TV well, uh, now because- Italy
1: Italy now that that Volleyball World picked up the streaming rights to the Italian leagues this year they have way more to worry about than just what's going on like just their spectators inside their borders they have the entire world but you're actually worried about that probably not and that that's what that's what's embarrassing about it they 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 need to make that adjustment or volleyball world needs to squeeze them with some oversight saying you're killing our viewership you need to stagger these matches and the the like nobody nobody ever would complain there, there is no drawback to putting one on wednesday one on thursday there is no a, reason not, a, not a, to there's do that not
0: that kind of oversight
1: right the reality is and i mean this this is going to hurt to say but
0: volleyball world doesn't have that kind of purchasing power right they don't kind of ha- they don't have that kind of that kind of impact right what i, I wonder how much of a kickback at all you know this lego volley is getting from volley volleyball world is it more significant than ray probably not definitely not in my, in my books right it's probably something that's secondary to them right and, and like once again like volleyball world i'm not saying they're not doing a good job they're doing a better job but it's still like yeah. like it's, it's it's still not great you know when we talk about like this being the best league in the world and what I go through to be like, well, how I can watch the NBA, how I can watch the NHL, like the NFL, like how I can watch like soccer from, from overseas, how I can watch basketball from overseas. It's just, there's, there's so much lacking, right? Because everyone thinks that just having that broadcast is like, we're just getting now to two commentators. It's taken this (laughs) long to be able to get having two commentators. Right. So like, yes i i agree with you but like to them they're just they're just happy that it's getting done
1: uh we we've we've just got to do better with that there's people all over the world that want to watch all three of these matches and are only really going to be able to focus on one and that is a shame and the third match that i'm talking about is match three of the women's Italian semifinals between Monza and Novara. First of all, I don't know why this is only a best of three series. I have no, I have no so, idea why they play sucks. best of three semis on the women's side and best of five semis on the men's side. That makes no sense. But because the patriarchy. Uh, uh, don't, don't get me started on that. The the this has been a phenomenally good series so far. Uh, I've had the pleasure of commentating each of the first two matches. I, however, as I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll say it. I've said it on the show before. I see myself as the best commentator on the planet, and I'm not doing any of the three games tomorrow, which is absurd. So I'm not, not doing this one tomorrow, but this has been a very, very good series, and unfortunately, um, you will try, have to try and follow it or watch it along at the exact same time as Perugia Modena and Lube Trentino. But after Novara at home went up 2 nothing, they lost the second two sets. They got it done in the fifth in the first match in the series. Uh, Monza at home passed the ball 30% better 58% perfect passes in this 3-0 win over Novara 73% positive that is crazy so in the first match the the balance was Novara's serving which was outstanding was balanced out by Monza's blocking Monza is a massive team uh they're I mean they've at least two players over two meters tall, which is on the women's side is absolutely insane. Monza's block, like Monza's number of stuff blocks was about equal to Novara's number of aces. And the difference then in that first match was side-out offense because Novara passed the ball much, much better than Monza did. This time, you didn't see the Novara aces, uh, only two aces of 14 errors, whereas Monza had three to 13. So actually, they served the ball better. But uh, 58% perfect passing. To a setter who is capable of running magic like Alessia Oro is, that is a recipe for a 3-0. And sure enough, even though the first, the, the first and third were close, Monza was clearly the better team throughout in this match. And a, a, a sign for optimism for them is that they brought Magdalena Stisiak in off the bench like late in the first, and she was awesome. Uh, 11 for 29 it doesn't even really do her impact justice. She gave a look that Novara hadn't seen. A contact point, angles that their defense and their block was not ready for, and I'm really curious to see which of their opposites gets to start in the third match tomorrow. How much were they running
0: through the middle? Because I've found, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't get to watch the match on uh, on Sunday, but uh, I've found that when Monza's really successful, they're running a lot through the middle, and we, we've talked about that connection with Rekia and Denesi De with with Oro and. When they're good, they're, they're, they're running it through the middle. So how much were they, were they going down the middle?
1: So that was exactly what me and Claire were talking about throughout the series and the broadcast, is when Monza is good, their middle is a primary force in their offense. And in this match, uh, D- Rettke 13 attempts, AC 9 attempts, like 22 combined is fine in three sets. I think that's a pretty good number, like an, aver- an average of seven balls a set to the middle. I think that's pretty good. Uh, both of them pretty efficient. So I liked that, and it, it was really credit to their outstanding service reception. But Oro's so good that she can flick the ball back to slide and transition and make it look like an insistent play. So I, I totally agree with you. That, is, that was one of the turning points that Monza used, is they really made a point to run the middle more, and that is, I, I totally agree. That's When they have been at their best offensively this year, that's what they've done. So uh, I expect them to do the same thing, or at least try to do the same thing tomorrow if they can pass the ball that well again.
0: Now, to me, Rob, obviously I didn't watch this match, but I did watch match one. Uh, and I found that, you know, Novara was really lacking at times in in that one. And maybe that they came out a little bit lucky to be able to pull, pull that one match out at home. Is it ridiculous to say that maybe, you know, Monza's favorite hand to this one, like especially with how dominant it seemed that they were in this one. I mean, just looking at the scoreline, especially that second set 17, like, that's not pretty for the semifinals, right? <laughs> Does Moses have the advantage going to Novara tomorrow?
1: I actually think they do. I think they adjusted to the matchup a heck of a lot better than Novara did and they are able to play in a, a couple more ways than Novara is. Like I think their I think their win criteria Mon- Monza is talking about are based on them playing well and executing their game plan, Novara's win criteria are kind of a little bit luck-based. Like, in the first match, they got six aces out of Abrar Karakert, which you're just not, you can't rely on that every match. Like, that's that's an a way above normal output. They also got her hitting really, really efficiently. This time, like, 18 for 42, six errors, not great. Like, Nika Daldrop wasn't as good. She got benched, but then Britt Herbots wasn't all that good. Katarina Bassetti, like is, is never going to be your most efficient wing. She's kind of she's definitely your your L2 sort of character. And they only had three blocks. So they've got to get back to their strength at the service line. Not even just in aces or ace to error ratio, but uh putting Monza under significant pressure, which was their key, really the the big reason why they won the first match. And another thing that I've praised Novara about this year is that they are surprisingly very, very good at not making errors making the other team earn all of their side outs and all their break points. And this time they had a lot more errors than I would say was characteristic 14 service errors and eight just straight up attack errors out of bounds plus blocked six times. So like that is not super typical for Novara. I expect a little cleaner volleyball out of them, but clean volleyball doesn't equate to break points unless the other team is giving you points for free. And Monza right now is in a flow and in a, an execution stage of the matchup where they're really not giving points away for free. So I right now would pick Monza to win tomorrow for a handful of those reasons. I think you're right on the money. Now, here's my next question:
0: is which team do you think now obviously you're gonna pick Monza to win this one, but which team do you think would be a better matchup against Canigliano? Canigliano dispatched Scandici quite handily, three-one. They won. Agon is really good. We don't really need to talk about it. Agreed. But going back to this matchup, right? Monza may be the better team in this matchup, but are they the best team to go up against Canigliano?
1: That is a great question. And that's something I've been thinking about in this series. I think the the reason why Novara might be the better team against Canigliano is two reasons. One, they have, they make less errors in general, and they therefore has, have a chance to get Paola Egonu on a day where she's spraying the ball out of bounds a little bit too much, and that. I think right now is the only way Caneliano loses a match. They've been so good lately. So good. Like, absolutely untouched since, you know, the last three or four matches even of the regular season, Champions League included, that I think the only way to beat them right now is to play the cleanest volleyball you can and kind of hope you get a less-than-efficient day from Egonu. I think Novara is better built to do that. I also think Novara has the opposite in Karakert that at her best can perhaps keep a little bit of pace with Corneliano and agonu more so than monza can like they've they haven't even started magdalena stisiak the last six or eight matches and although she came in uh this this last match on on sunday and was good she doesn't have the high ball scoring ability that abra Caracurt has Caracurt is a better player than stisiak right now and for that reason i think novara actually would have a better matchup against Corneliano in the finals but that doesn't mean they have a better matchup against Monza tomorrow. So that makes it really interesting. So I am going to pick Monza tomorrow. and But regardless of who wins tomorrow, I'm picking Caneliano in the finals. I think I think they're just a juggernaut right now.
0: Yeah, you're not wrong. But I mean, hey, Monza did get a win against them in the regular season. That was pre-Jordan. Both teams did.
1: Both teams got one win against yeah. them
0: you're you're not wrong. Uh those was pre Jordan Larson as well. Of course they didn't match up against them as well in the Champions League uh there
1: but oof,
0: it's going to be interesting interesting tomorrow. It's really really shitty that it's all all three games are going to be at 2:30. Um It is a
1: shame. It is a shame. And uh, right actually right before those matches tomorrow, I get the cool opportunity to talk with Paula Egonu herself. Uh sick. We're going live on the European Volleyball Show tomorrow, 2 p.m. Eastern, and th- those all the all three of those Italian matches are at 2:30. So, uh, we'll, we'll be mostly talking about Champions League, but I'll I'll, I'll certainly be asking Agonu, like, are you are you going to watch this last Monza Novara match, and do you have any thoughts on the matchup? Like, I'm sure she won't tell me who she would prefer to win, but uh, it's it's kind of cool for Caneliano, that like because the, they you know they got past Monza in the quarterfinals of the champions league and didn't have to play the semis. And then they get past Scandici in the semis of Italy and don't have to play a third match. So they've, they've really have a, had an advantageous schedule, just getting to chill and watch the, watch the rest of their tournaments, like, you know, develop around them. So I am very excited to chat with the best player in the world tomorrow. That's a pretty rare opportunity. So check it out on the CV YouTube channel.
0: Yeah. You guys should definitely check that out. It's too bad that we couldn't have just advanced that by an hour. So we could have had you on at least one of the broadcasts tomorrow, but, uh, okay uh, i i guess that's the way she goes all right what do, what do we want to jump into next we want to jump into poland, poland. and a little bit of the semi-final action there okay, let's, about, let's jump into poland and talk about the police league a couple a couple of couple of uh interesting results the first one that we see here we're going to touch on it real quick jw throwing squad squad down three oh really not much to talk about it jw has just been in on an absolute uh tear since firing andrea gardini they are perfect 12 and 0 in sets 4 and 0 in the playoffs um and just absolutely rolling your boy head is looking good great call on that rob good job um <laughs> and and any uh notes obviously a big shout out to andrea G- giolito who's the assistant coach who stepped in uh for jw obviously something wor- is working there and Volleyball's a weird sport. I don't know any other sport that's known for like, hey, we're going to fire our coach in the playoffs and it's going to do well because that's exactly, you know, we we saw JW, like this is this is JW's third coach in two years. Dude, it's weird. Yeah, they did the Brent's exact to Gardini same.
1: Gardini to Giovanni they did the same thing last year and ended up winning the entire Plus league. We saw Lube do it last year. Like after losing in champions league, they fired their coach and they ended up winning the Scudetto. And like, yeah, you you and Dan talked about it on the show. Like when, when the Gardini firing was announced after JW lost that first one to Gdansk in the quarters, they're like, you're like, okay, what, why? Like, what, what are you, what, what better are you going to be able to do right now? What's this really going to change? Turns out it changed something. I have no idea what, but uh Yashevsky's been on a tear since. Like yep. 3 0 Gdansk twice, 3-0 scraw twice. Now they're sitting in the finals waiting for this. Because the first match in this in this semifinal, which I'm actually very surprised is the more dramatic of the two, uh, Xavierche went to kedzirz and Kozle in game one and beat zaxa in four. However, today. Zoxa went to Zabierce. Responded in classic Zoxa fashion with a three-zero clinic. It was they a just clinic. Dominated. It was fifty-four percent efficiency as a team for Zoxa today. Yeah. It was. It
0: was just it, like you could tell that Zoxa let one away from them. And I mean, this is this is what I love so much about watching Zoxa is that they're such a professional team, totally. and that they they don't need to ride perfection, right? They have these little slip ups here and there and they just go right back to work. And I mean, Hey, let's be honest. Xavier. So, has some high level talent with uh Kovacevic and, and Fukuda Conte. So you got two, you know, a level players out there, guys who have been uh, at times, both of them in the top five outside hitters in, in, in the world, obviously Conte just coming off that bronze medal at, at the Olympics. Um, but at the end of the day they just don't have the horses to be able to run with this Zaxa team. Um but I I am interested in seeing this team do well. I kind of hope they win the third place match because they have some of the best fans and one of the best supporters sections. Their I've fans seen. were awesome yeah. today. Awesome. Yeah. And they they've got like the, they the fans have um these matching like i guess they're fan club jerseys that look sick and they're right behind the court and they've got flags and everything and i'd love to see them uh in champions league one thing i don't like about them though and rob you're gonna join oh, me on this libero one.
1: jersey the oh libero my God. jersey is, how is the that legal? worst
0: i've ever seen how it's is like it legal a different shade of yellow right you've got like bright yellow and then like a greeny yellow but it's it's so it's bad. garbage. Like, like for <laughs> everything else, I kind of like their jerseys. Like the you've got the gold. Yeah, and the green and gold is great. Like but looks you
1: looks great. Why like, can you have a slightly lighter yellow libero jersey on yellow yeah. shorts? Can like next to a yellow on green rest of your team that shouldn't even be legal. So Throwing jersey like a forest jersey, green. Jersey yeah. karma alone, I, I think they're going to lose this series. But uh, actually, I, I on, I'm not no, disagreeing. Yeah, on court, I think they're going to lose the series as well. The the matchup where they really lose is in the middle, uh, 100%. and. And Otonos was today. making was making the case the other day that Norbert Huber has a legitimate MVP bid for the Plus League of this year. And I was just, I was astonished, astonished to hear that because the only the only middle I thought would have a chance at that award was Mateusz Biniak. But yeah. sure enough, like he's right. I, I looked at some of the numbers. Norbert Huber has been unbelievable this year. And we were talking in the Discord today during the match, like, how do you replace Jakob Kokonovsky? But from I think we all kind of agreed that. Kokonovsky yep. was the perfect middle for last year's Zoxa team. Mm-hmm. Huber is the perfect middle for this year's Zoxa team. Absolutely. And boy, is he had a great season and like him and David Smith and Smith was good today as well. Just have a laughably good matchup against both of Xavier, Che's middles like Zinishol and Nimek. I barely even know who those guys are. And uh, yeah. in the middle Zoxa was tremendous. They also passed the ball extremely well, which explains 54% team hitting efficiency. So
0: big, Big shout-out to David Smith and uh, Eric Shoji as well, who both totally. signed on for another year with Zaxa. So just, I mean, it looks like is looking to bring back the the entire squad, but you're exactly right on the Huber uh, side of things. And I think earlier on, like when we saw them lose to Lube, for example, that that's really where we saw them not struggle, or struggle a little bit more down the middle. Uh, but Janus has just figured out exactly how to hit Huber, and Huber's like OTing. their Right now, dude, and it's, his it's contact like, point it's is high. He it's is high. He's, he's hitting on it's hitting the back of the blockers' hands and tooling them out of bounds. Right, so it's really interesting to think about what the Polish team is going to be having come looking forward at VNL and looking forward to uh, the World Championships this year with that three-headed monster that is Yeah, Maniac, uh, and, and Uber. Yeah, right. I mean Novakowski's reti- retirement, and hey, he's an all-time goat down the middle. Like, like you could make the arguments of him being top five at, at times, especially with the world championships, but man, like those three young guys that they have, like all three of those guys are game changers. Right? And, and all they're all young those guys. Great point. And, yeah. yeah. They, 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 they all play a little bit of a different style. Like BNX, one of the best servers uh, in the, in the league as well. So, it just makes things really scary for what's going to come to, for, for Poland. But, I mean, looking at this series, I mean, they're going back to Zoxa. I think it's on Saturday. And yes. I fully see another another result like this. I fully expect to see a 3-0 from Zoxa and for them to be able to get ready for the finals and ultimately the Champions League finals
1: as well. Yeah, I agree. I, I think this is still very much Zoxa's series. I think we're going to get yet another Zoxa versus JW battle in the finals. And at that point, something's got to give because JW went on a horrible streak where they got destroyed by Zoxa three matches in a row. And now they're gonna they're probably going to get another shot at him. But uh, Zaxa just got to take care of business on Saturday, and that will be the case. Also, else- I,
0: I have a correct – no, sorry, two seconds. I have oh, okay. a correction. Uh, the uh, current head coach for JW is not Andrea Giolito. As I said, it's Nic- Nicola Giolito. Uh, so you. my apologies. I'm just – just a. Just quick correction there. I don't want anyone get, getting mad. Uh, but yeah, let, let's let's jump over to, to Germany where uh, we had another potential sweep uh, on the way as Friedrichshafen jumped into a 2-0 lead. But Berlin was able to seal the deal with a 3-0 win this weekend at home in front of a packed uh, Max Schmeling Hall. It looked one like the, there was an One evening, of the like, best
1: crowds in Europe. They're awesome. Yeah,
0: it, just just a packed house there. Um, your boy Ben Patch was Unreal in this one, he really came to play. Um, Friedrichshafen not doing so hot on their side of the net, looking at Diego Oliveira, who stepped into play, uh, or uh, on the left side, he had a zero percent efficiency, only 30 percent hitting percentage. Friedrichshafen struggling offensively in this one,
1: yeah. I mean, we were probably due for one of these, uh, the. Game one, which I'm trying to remember which one was game two and which one was game one in my head. But the, the one that uh, – okay, I, I'm looking – I was thinking about it correctly. But game one was in Berlin where Friedrichshafen like escaped 16-14 in the fifth. But yes. it was game it was game two at home like in Friedrichshafen where they were the better team. and they, they dominated, they, correct. They, 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 they dominated. They blocked the ball extremely well. All of Berlin's wings had a pretty poor performance this was a, a bounce back performance, a performance that I kind of expected. Like it was, you're probably due to get a good Ben patch day, uh, a, an above average Ruben exactly. shot, Timothy yeah. Carl day. And uh, I'm, I'm glad they're, they're starting shot over Tuya, by the way, I think he's the better player right now, even though that's generally a weak outside hitter crew. Um, but I, th- if any team can pull off a reverse sweep in a best of five series in Europe, really it. Uh, unless Lube does it over Trentino, I think it's Berlin. I still think that that it's it's not at all impossible for them to win this series, and it's really going to come down to Game Four if they can do it on the road. And I'm pretty sure that Game Four is tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken. It is tomorrow. Yeah, okay. it's at 2 p.m. Eastern time. God, um, so way too much volleyball going on. Way too on much. Trust me. And, and like, if you
0: guys want to see the hands down the best broadcast, honestly, like I need to learn German because not only like the broadcast, but the content they're putting out on a daily basis by Spontent is just absolutely unreal. Like it's good. So make sure you guys check that one out, 2 p.m. Eastern time. It's going down at 8
1: p.m. Whatever time Europe is. 8 p.m. in Germany. Yeah, twitch.tv slash Spontent. Bounce House is the company that's like taking over the Bundesliga's content this year. And we've talked about them all year long. They're just so good, doing such a good job.
0: Great job. Um, Now, Rob, I do have a question for you. You are, it, it seems like you're heavily Berlin pull off the the reverse sweep here to me that's a little precarious mainly because their number one source of output right now is Ben patch and yeah, that's, that's pretty volatile we, i, I won't we know how Ben patch can be i think you know we've said it before at the high end he is a world-class uh, opposite hitter at the low end he is a complete liability uh, he yeah. might as well be wearing a, a jersey for the other team. <laughs> so do you have that much faith in Ben patch that he can hold it together for two more matches here?
1: No, but I think that Berlin might be able to get it done anyway. I think when you, I think you have a setter like Sergey Grantkin, who is perfect to deal with that kind of an opposite. I think he is better set than anybody maybe in all of volleyball right now to take a guy that's that volatile and get the best out of them. First, you've got to figure out what you've got that day. Then you've got to just deal with it, whatever you've got. If you, if you figure out you've got good Ben Patch, sweet. Feed him the rock. Give him 40 attempts. If you have terrible Ben Patch, okay. Junk, like, chuck the ball to the middle, even with a, a, like, a half-retired like, police officer as one of your middles if Jendrick can't come back and play, which is the case right now. I'm, I'm not making that up. Uh, no, you not. Get, get the ball to the bit. Get the ball to the outside fast. Like, Grandkin is the guy who, if you have bad Ben Patch in a day, he is the setter who can kind of deal with it and, and let Berlin survive. And I just don't think that Friedrichshafen has the high ball scoring ability that, like, in, unless they're just absolutely lighting it up that day or they're really, really in system. Uh, I think the first match the first match was a lucky break. The second match, Friedrichshafen was the better team but I still am going to pick Berlin to win this series. I, th- I think it comes down to tomorrow's match. And, but if they, get, if they get a game five at home in Berlin – No chance. No chance. I I agree with that. I do think that I'm going to pay Friedrich Schopenhauer to win. I think that they can get
0: it done tomorrow. Ultimately, I think that they're going to be having having a better blocking game. I mean, Lucas Van Berckel, for example, had more blocks last game than the entire team this game, sitting in at only four. I think they're going to serve better as well, right? They went two, two aces for 10 errors, and it just looked like they didn't put that much pressure on. Um, with 56 positive uh, reception, 56 percent positive receptions uh, for uh, Berlin, and only 29 percent positive that's... percent, but only 29 positive per uh, positive percentage uh, on the uh, Friede side of things. So they're running around and just not yeah, getting that's it done. 29 that's, percent that's, positive, that's really bad. It's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's brutal. So you know, I think if Friede can have a better game tomorrow, then they're going to win and they're going to do it at home. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, I think Berlin can pull off the reverse sweep, and that would be sick to see.
1: Yeah, that would be a heck – regardless of the result, this series is delivered. I, I we, we all kind of thought it would be a foregone conclusion that Berlin 100%. was going to win this league. But regardless of his role, this has been a very, very fun series, and I, I've enjoyed watching I, – I watched matches two and three fully, and they were both outstanding. So yeah. uh, moving on really quick. Content. Yeah, totally. Twitch is just is, – is great. So uh, before we get to NCAA, which it's, it's about time we talk about that this season, I want to talk spicy. about the Tur- the Turkish Women's League first because the finals are set in that league to the surprise of nobody. Vakif Bank Istanbul is going back to the finals. They're very much alive for not just the triple crown, but the quadruple crown. If you um, put club world championships in the mix, they got that. They got the, the, the Turkish Cup there very much alive for uh, Turkish finals and Champions League. So they got patched THY uh, 2-0, even though the first match was 3-2. The other series, just to talk about that really quick, Fenerbahce getting past the Jajabasha surprisingly easily. I think it was 3-1, 3-0. And I, I was a little disappointed in Tiana Boscovich and company just kind of laying down. Mm-hmm. But I don't. I know that Maya Onyanovic yeah. didn't play this last match, so that certainly hurts. Mm-hmm. We've seen now... Vakif Bank and Fenerbahce, this will be the finals in Turkey. We've seen them go at each other so many times this year. We saw an unbelievable Champions League series that featured a golden set. We saw the Turkish Cup finals go like 17-15 in the fifth. Uh, This is a best-of-five series in the finals, which is great news. Everett, does Fenerbahce have a chance, any chance, to beat Vakif Bank three matches out of five? Or is that just too tall of a task? um i don't know
0: to be honest uh, i think if they can squeeze out a win early maybe if they can win uh, a, a get a win on the road at Vokef Bank maybe but it, to me it really depends on what team uh shows up right like is it going to be the Vokef Bank that we've seen that won the world club championships the, the Vokef Bank that absolutely dominates teams or the Vokef Bank that goes to a golden set with Fenerbahce. Yeah, it sleepwalks you know, a little bit. Loses yeah. loses a match to Rosovia, Right? So it's it's to me it's it's re- re- off, sorry, not re- not Rizovia, Just just to correct myself. But to me it's it's really of Bank are we going to see, right? Is to have to put, the, put the on the back on their back. Now, I do expect Fenerbahce to win at least one game, right? I expect to win whatever they're... I'm supposing Game 2 is going to be at home for them. I, I'm expecting them to win Game 2. Um, but, you know, I I don't know. To to me, I don't think Fenerbahce has the overall power um, that, that uh, Vakiv Bank does. Yeah, sure, Varga's been having a pretty good time. She's and, been very good lately. Yeah, she's very good. And you have Fenerbahceva as well, but do they have the other pieces everywhere else? I I don't think
1: so. Yeah, I agree with you. I I, I definitely like even if Vargas and Hawk go head to head and are similar in output in the game even Seva can't compete with what Gabi has done this year. I think no, that absolutely not I, I think that Gabi is Bank's most important player. Even if Hawk might be their best player or certainly their most offensive output player, I think yeah. is their most important player and she 100%. has just been so good this year and lives for big moments. I I I am definitely gonna pick Bank as well, but I think 3 1 in the series is very reasonable. I wouldn't be surprised to see Fenerbahce take a match.
0: Yeah, absolutely and I mean I I think that Gabi is really like she's a leader in that heart the heart and soul of that uh, Vakas Pank team right and if you look at it like Gabi over Federate Seva, Hawk over Vargas um, so realistically you know uh, yeah uh, unless like if this was a, a best of three series it might be a different story
1: I agree, right? if, I agree. if this was a, yeah. best
0: of, a, a best of three series and Fenerbahce could win their one home game and then steal the game at uh at vakuf bank then maybe right they could like if if this was a best of three maybe they could uh, do a quick 2-0 and kind of steal it but no i don't see this in a best of five
1: yep i think that's a very good take so last but not least on the show it is high time everett that this year we finally dig into some ncaa men's and uh and i'll admit i've i've had my fair share of catching up to do on this subject in in the last couple weeks but they're uh, conference tournaments have wrapped up. The NCAA bracket is set, and we might as well just jump in straight with the bracket before it gets to yeah, conference so tournaments. Bracket, it's a seven-team it, bracket, which is a it's, problem it's, in it's, and of <laughs> itself. Seven is the worst number of all right, time in, in terms of tournament theory and just creating a schedule that's reasonable. You get. A team with a double by, like settings, <laughs> so stupid. Why don't you just add an eighth team and and make a completely reasonable bracket? Anyway, especially like
0: especially this year too, because there were some seriously legitimate teams that missed out on on the at large bid because of the uh, the upsets. And now you and I have a bit of disagreement about what actually constitutes an upsets. But let's start <laughs> with um with the the
1: first one. Um, let's start that with what was seeing. not an upset. The, the only th- the only thing in the conference tournaments that was not an upset was Ball salt. State. So, absolutely, Ball State Ball State wins the Miva. They they cleanly destroy IPFW in the finals. Who, but well, well, that was IPFW, that was a close PFW one. Now, not I mean, really. I think, but I but 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 ultimately, I think it shows how how strong
0: the Miva is and how it's really grown to be one of the premier conferences in the NCAA. Because you have an IPF double a, a W team coming out of sixth place in the conference, they take down uh mckendree who was ranked third then they take down loyola chicago who was ranked second both with sweeps in the in the conference tournament and then go up again against ball state who was really good this year and and ultimately fall but hey you're seeing that a team from the sixth place in the MIVA can make a run all the way to the finals just shows how strong um you know the midwest volleyball is right now and how you know the MIVA is still good even though teams like ohio state are looking pretty shitty these days
1: Friendly reminder that the Miva did win four national championships in a row, uh, 2014 to 17, two from Loyola, two from Ohio state. But the, like the top of the top in terms of Miva teams, like being able to win a national championship has not been there since, but like top to bottom in the conference, that's pretty tight. That was, that was a pretty good conference this year. However, Ball State was the best team in the regular season by far. Uh, Caleb Jenis is an absolute baller. If you haven't watched them play this year, he is, he is outstanding on the outside. So, they, they uh, got the, the in-state rivalry win over PFW pretty easily in the finals. They grabbed the number two seed overall in the tournament, which surprised some people. And a lot of some some, of some West Coast biased people on the Internet who uh, refused to believe that, that volleyball exists east of the state of Arizona are, were annoyed that Ball State got this high of a seed. But I agree with this. I think they were the, most, the best and most consistent team in conference play this year by far, with the exception of Penn State. And a very, no, a very notable omission from the NCAA tournament bracket because Penn State lost to Princeton in the in EIVA the semifinals. Crazy yeah. five-setter at Penn State. And Princeton goes on to beat NJIT in the finals and grabs the bid from the EIVA. And because of some of the chaos elsewhere, Penn State, who was as high as ranked number two in the nation this year, misses out on the NCAA tournament completely after Dominating the regular season, so this is the sort of crazy drama I'm talking about that went down this week. Like Princeton yeah. beating Penn State at Penn State and then Penn State missing out on the tournament is crazy, crazy. Princeton, One of the biggest upset in recent years. 23 and four this year.
0: They like were amazing 23 and four, like le- a legitimate team. I mean, they started with a real strong, you know, um, real strong sweep on the, on the west coast and just. They look so good. I mean, even how little I followed them this year, I, I knew that they're good. On the other side of the net, like Princeton is a team that started off their year like eight, one in eight, one Ouch. in eight, right? And just get, <laughs> like going out to the West Coast and get absolutely thumped, only picking up one win against UCSB. But man, have really grown, obviously, obviously quite a bit. Now, do you think this was? Do you think this was, was kind of a fluke? Do you think this was a one-time thing? Or do you think this is a team that's been growing all season?
1: No, this, this, this is a fluke. This definitely was a one-time th- one thing. But it's kind of the magic of NCAA sports that we see in college basketball all the time. We see it in the 64-team women's volleyball tournament in, in November and December. Uh, friendly reminder, 64 teams on the women's side, seven on the men's with D1 and D2 combined. That doesn't exactly scream balance to me. Anyway, um, we, we see th- – this is what, what is cool about, about university sports. We, we, see, we saw it in U Sports in Canada this year too. Like everybody in the world thought Trinity Western was going to win that tournament. It was a foregone conclusion, and they didn't. Al- Alberta played better in the finals than they won. So, I mean, yeah.
0: I, I think there's a, there's a little bit of difference there. Alberta is still like legitimate number two, whereas we have yeah. Princeton come, coming up from the depths of the fourth-ranked team beating – Beating Penn State, I mean, ultimately, um, you know, a fairy tale run for the Tigers over this, there. So yes,
1: that is a Cinderella run. Make no mistake, and they, yeah. even if they like, they'll play North Greenville out of the conference Carolinas on Sunday, and like the play-in round, and then who do they play after that? I think Hawaii. Yeah, yeah they'll, they'll, the winner of that game has to play Hawaii. They'll they'll lose to Hawaii like convincingly. That won't even be close. But uh, huge credit to Princeton for completely turning the entire NCAA up on its head because like everybody everybody was just certain that Penn State coming out of the EIVA was going to be a foregone conclusion. And really the question was going to be how much damage could, like, Brett Wildman, Cal Fisher, Cole Bogner, like those guys do in the NCAA tournament, and now they don't even get the chance. And part of the reason they don't get the chance is because there's some upsets going on elsewhere. This was an upset in the MPSF as well. Not even just Pepperdine winning, because Pepperdine is good, but Stanford beating UCLA uh, who was Nothing playing at ball. home and the number one seed in the MPSF? Stanford beating UCLA in the semis before then Stanford unfortunately losing to, to Pepperdine in the finals. Pepperdine grabs a bid that they probably wouldn't have otherwise had, and UCLA gets in at, as an at-large spot, which takes perhaps a spot away from Penn State. So this is sort of the how, bracketology chaos we're talking about. Here. How,
0: good <laughs> have been, how good of a story how, would it have been if Stanford, Stanford oh. you know, last year who were, like, who were just like a, a – Less than twelve months away from basically being done, they got the fi- like the final hour save, and uh, as did all the other sports, they lose a bunch of their roster. Right, most notably Jalen, Jalen jesper. jesper Where does he go? To Pepperdine. Pepperdine. <laughs> How good of it? How good of a story would have been if Stanford, on the doorstep of being shut down, is able to come back and win win that uh, MPSF title? Unfortunately, it wasn't to be. Jalen jesper I think he had fourteen points in this one. Was looked looked pretty decent, but man, that would have been a story I was I was
1: rooting for it for sure that would have been just one of the great comeback stories ever and may have gotten may have gotten like more media press than just the volleyball world well one could only hope but yeah Will Rotman carried Stanford all year Uh, Kevin Lamp from my from kind of my home area here in Chicago those those guys had a phenomenal bounce back year so huge credit to Stanford just came up barely barely short but again they turned the NCAA on its head by beating UCLA in that semifinal. but now Pepperdine Pepperdine, I think it's UCLA in an yeah. all MPSF semi or I guess that's a quarterfinal. God, I hate this bracket. Yeah, I, that's, a, that's a quarterfinal. But the other the, one. Of, so my complaints about this bracket, obviously seven teams is stupid, but a first round conference matchup I don't really like. I, I, I wish they could have done something to separate UCLA and Pepperdine and see a matchup that we haven't already seen, I think, at least twice this year. I don't think that there
0: is any there is any way to do it because ultimately, like you don't want to have like you want to give Hawaii like Hawaii has to be the third the third team, especially since they won their conference. We're gonna we're gonna talk about that in a second, right? right? I think if um,
1: UCLA had won their conference, they probably take the two seed over Ball State, and then we have no absolutely problems. 100 percent, yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. And I think in that scenario,
0: then you're seeing Ball State drop to the four, and you're seeing you know Ball State play whoever. Whoever uh, slots in instead of Pepperdine, because I doubt Pepperdine is there uh, without it. Like if, if
1: Pepperdine, if UCLA doesn't win, then we have Penn State, maybe USC in this tournament, right? Yeah, so- exactly. Yeah, yeah. Pepperdine. To be very clear, Pepperdine would not have made this tournament if they made the NCAA tournament if they didn't win the MPSF. With for sure, like USC, Penn State, or like the Hawaii versus Long Beach loser would have all gotten at-large bids over Pepperdine. So uh, a a bid thief there for sure. Like getting giving UCLA an at-large spot, and that leaves us with another crazy one: the reigning national champions, uh, Hawaii. Significantly different looking team from last year, but still they managed to win the Big West. I call this an upset, Everett, because and I think it is. I think Long Beach the last two months has been the best team in the country, and I think you can tell that because they lose. Long Beach loses in three sets at Hawaii in the in the Big West finals, and still gets the number one seed overall in the NCAA tournament. But I'm cu- really curious to see how this kind of new look Hawaii team how they can do on the national stage, and they're going to get. A pretty good matchup in the first round and then they'll get a revenge opportunity against ball state because earlier in the year hawaii went to ball state and lost twice while a decent now, amount of while a decent amount of their lineup had COVID, so they definitely want some revenge from that and I, that that is a matchup that i'm that really looking forward to now rob my question is, is how can you call this an
0: upset when LBSU was the number one team in the Big West Conference with an eight and two conference record, twenty four and twenty overall. Hawaii was the number two team in the conference with a seven three record and a twenty five and 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 five record overall. Like that's my question is how or how are you giving the team that won more more wins? a lower seed. And how are you calling that an upset? Like, I understand that the eye
1: test, but say, to me, say, like, the, say those up. records for me one more time. Sorry. Okay.
0: Know. Long beach. And I, I even, I even fucked it up. So we'll, we'll go with this again. Long beach had an overall record of 25 or of 20 and five Thank in you. conference. They were eight and two. Okay. Right. Hawaii had a overall record of 24 and five. So they had four more wins than LBSU, but in conference they were seven and three. How is that how is that an upset? That to me seems like it's it's number 2 beating number 1. Yes, well, obviously they were favored, but I wouldn't call it an upset. Like at what point are we upset. where you know is every win an upset now?
1: I mean, if if the team that's not favored wins, yes, that's an upset by definition and the point I already made. Long Beach loses the conference tournament and they still are the number 1 seed in the entire country in the national tournament. How how, how is could that you, how, you argue that's the, that they're that at least the committee for sure agrees with me that Long Beach is the better team and got upset by Hawaii in the Big West finals. I'm not saying that Hawaii wouldn't have gotten an at-large bid if they had needed one, but Long Beach has been the better team the last two months by far. If you don't know the name Alex Nikolov, uh, you're going to need to learn about him these next this next like week or so in the national championship tournament because this this Bulgarian freshman not only might he be the best. I don't know if he's the best player in the NCAA yet, but two or three years from now, he will be. And he is the future of the Bulgarian national team. So if he's not on your radar, he should be. Uh, Him, Spencer Olivier across from him, that is a good pairing for Wings. They're good in the middle. Uh, They've got Ellen Knipe's son, Aiden Setting, who I think is good at least, if not bordering on great for an NCAA setter. But they run into some more foreigners on Hawaii. I mean, a big storyline is how foreigners have dominated the NCAA men's recently. Like, Jakob Tella, Setter, Conference Player of the Year, Uh, two Greek kids on the wings, a Brazilian in the middle. Like, you've got a lot of international flavor in the NCAA.
0: Is that a a worry to you? Yes, absolutely. Is that a worry to you that, like, the best, you know, like, let's be honest, the best
1: American talent that's coming into the NCAA right now is Puerto Rican?
0: (laughs) Right?
1: I totally agree. The NCAA, just in general, is having a down couple years. I think since that... Since that TJ DeFalco, Josh Twiniga, Kyle Ensign class in 2019 or whatever that was, the the NCAA has definitely been on a decline. Uh, hopefully we see a resurgence in the next two or three years or so with some prospects. But yeah, all the really elite, like all-American talent ends up not being American, ironically enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, don't, I, mean, I definitely uh, don't love that. It's not great for our national team development. Fortunately, we kind of got lucky and got Gabby Garcia to... Renationalized, but yeah, I definitely wish the NCAA could produce more like national team ready American players, kind of like it used to in the like the Taylor Sander, Aaron Russell, Thomas Jeske three year sequence. Those guys coming out, and then T J. DeFalco, those guys coming out and being like Olympic level ready immediately is something that I don't see for the next several years in kind of the American pipeline. Why do you think why do you think this is happening? I mean, we've there's been some interesting
0: discussions discussions on the Discord you see if you want to be a part of them come join us on, on the volleyball force discord and um there's there's, there's some interesting discussions on the, on the discord in terms of what people in the in the u.s view as kind of the pinnacle of volleyball and how a lot of people view ncaa as kind of like that be-all end-all and they don't even consider the international
1: game in program is that something that you know you kind of experience as well and see totally yeah i um I, I remember very vividly my first year playing junior club. Um, it was, I was a 17. You, I definitely started late. And as, as part of the tryout process, some of the coaches like sat us all down, all, all of us who were trying out for Adversity Volleyball Club in northern Chicago. And they, said, they asked, who was the national player of the year in the men's NCAA last year? And I was literally the only person that knew the answer was Kavika Shoji from Stanford in 2010. Not a single other kid that was playing high school volleyball knew the answer to that question. They didn't know who the best player in college was. If you had asked them who the best player in the world was at the time, it would have been even more clueless. Whereas if you asked them who the best player in the NBA was, they would have given you the top, their top 10 NBA basketball players and all of their stats, even though none of them played basketball. That's kind of the weird thing about how volleyball is like covered, perceived, and presented in America is that the boys growing up don't see the high levels they and even if they do see like the ncaa tournament for a week in may they don't see anything past that other than the olympics once every four years like when i was coming up and i I was very intentionally digging into all this stuff i had to go far out of my way to figure out a clue of what was going on in europe it's just not that it's yeah just not that it, it certainly wasn't that accessible in 2010 2012 2014 now it's a little more so with how digital the world is but i think the, the other factor with why the NCAA and like american boys youth pipeline is 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 kind of lagging is covid uh and i think we're i think it actually might even get a little bit worse before it gets better because we yeah. lost two full years of like important development cycles for junior players 14 you, not not so much 14 you you're not you're not like physical enough to really play at that point but 15 16 17s by the time you're 18, you're pretty much college ready. But some of the players that we were kind of building our pipeline around lost those two years. And a lot of the other countries with the way their youth systems are set up are a lot better equipped to catch up to, from that than the U.S. is. I yeah. think I think the quality Dude, of that in Canada, too. yeah, and Canada probably has a very similar issue. I think the. The, North Amer- the quality of North American boys, junior players coming into university is going to get a little bit worse before it gets better because of COVID effects that might last a couple years. So there's a little bit of reason for pessimism there. But as the NCAA continues to attract good foreign talent for one reason or another, the level of play s- stays reasonably high, even if the best players aren't necessarily Americans. Is there also a worry though, that it's always the same teams, right?
0: And there's really not that much yeah. competition. Yeah. You know, right. Like, like the Eva, like other than Penn state losing surprisingly this year, it's, it's usually going to be Penn state, you know, obviously we, there's the new coastal Carolina conference and it's great that they're there, but they're not going to be, they're not going to be a thing. Um, you know, but maybe, you know, there is first point uh, volleyball foundation who's trying to get some things. And I know that there's some, um, HBCUs who's getting yeah. or who getting into volleyball. Yeah, which...
1: SIAC, the I think it's Southern Intercollegiate Athletic Conference. It's an it's an HBCU conference, and they started that... a full a full conference this year. They had a conference tournament, everything. They don't get an auto bid yet, but in a couple of years they will. That uh, believe, to me is, I, I think, Central, is one of the biggest moves. Yeah. Central State is the name of the school that that ended up winning the SEAC this year. It that was a phenomenal, phenomenal thing to see. And it it'll it'll, it'll only be a matter of time until that league kind of catches up with the level of volleyball and the experience that it takes to like really compete in the NCAA but they're going to start pulling athletes who would have never known volleyball existed until HBCUs got it and that Dude. might be, that might change everything in, in five years. Uh, that, or so. That's a, that's a massive opportunity. I see what is one of the biggest opportunities in North American volleyball yeah, right now. Totally. If
0: you start getting, because like, let's like, this is, this is a fact that men's volleyball is one of the most underserved sports in the United States. There's a, a, a number, I think even there's more states in uh, the United States. And Correct me if I'm wrong here, Rob, that don't support men's volleyball at all. They don't have a state championship for it whatsoever yeah. than then, then those do, that do. That's absolutely right?
1: true. Yeah, it's a fact.
0: How many of these fantastic athletes are we seeing, you know, kind of be, sit on the bench for basketball and football and whatnot? and how many of those athletes would be so good and so dynamic? And I'll, I'll, I'll be the first one to say it, right? If you If you look at Ontario, where I'm from, which is the most populous province in, in Canada by far, um, Prior to 2008, Ontario had only won at, 18, at the 18U boys I had only won four national championships ever, right? Since then. They've won, I think, like like eight or nine. Like it, it's been a huge, and there's a there's been a big change in getting into, uh, let's say, d- different colored neighborhoods. Basically, volleyball became yeah. a lot less white, and the level of volleyball shot up immensely. And I mean, we know how expensive it is. We know how many uh, barriers there are, especially in the United States, where you can't play it at the high school level. But if that were to change, and volleyball was to diversify a little bit. I know the United States would be the first, like you guys would be an absolute, You, you the men's team would be on the same domination level as the women's team.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And I would. Th- that's worthy of an entire podcast in and of itself just to talk about like the, the trajectory of the American developmental system. But yeah, huge, huge shouts to the SEAC while we're talking about NCAA. It was very much worth bringing up the fact that that conference debuted this year, even though they don't get an NCAA tournament bid. But back to the NCAA tournament, if we can kind of wrap things up. We'll make our picks for this on next week's show because it starts this Sunday, that Princeton versus North Greenville match. All these matches are at UCLA, by the way, in, in Southern California. Uh, Princeton versus North Greenville is on Sunday. Then those quarterfinal matches UCLA Pepperdine and then Hawaii versus that first match winner. Those are on Tuesday. So they actually might be happening live while we're on the show next week. And then those semifinals are on Thursday. And the national championships game is next Saturday, May 7th. So we'll do a little more NCAA discussion on next week's show. But before we get out of the NCAA, I also wanted to shout out another level that uh, we don't cover nearly enough and deserves a lot more credit. That's NCAA Division III. Their national championships for this past weekend. And Carthage in southeastern Wisconsin, the town of Kenosha, 20 miles away from where I grew up, that uh, outputs some – that has output some pros will craft griffin shields uh like really really good like european caliber players come out of carthage and ever and everywhere in division three like springfield suny new stevens like there are good programs at this level and carthage hosted the the national championships tournament and they won it for the second year in a row last year they 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 won nationals in the COVID year when most of the east coast schools that have where division three volleyball is the richest didn't even play the entire season. So some people argue that there was an asterisk on Carthage's win last year, but this year there was not. Uh, they had all, all the teams, the entire country was popping off in division three this year and Carthage beat Springfield three, one, in the final great match. Huge shout out to uh JW JW is Their head coach's name, will Kraft, who's a Chicago Iceman guy uh, is a GA for them right now. So uh, congratulations to them. I watched the match on Saturday and it was awesome. So, Wanted to give uh, Division three some spotlight there. You know what I'd love to see, Rob, is that we've, we've seen the CanAm
0: tournament between the best university teams, or the, the best D one teams, the best university teams. I'd love to see the same tournament, but for the D three and CCAA. level. Yeah, that would be yeah. sick. I think I think that would be awesome because I've talked about it before. How I love the level of CCWA ball. Um, I love watching it. A, they use the molten, which is way more fun to watch than with the, the Mikasa, and they love <laughs> ch- taking chucks at it. But there There's something with with that level of ball where there's such good athletes and they're just they're just a step below kind of those top tier guys that just brings such a fun level of volleyball and i i'd love I'd love to see the that uh that go down sometime because I'm very interested to see how good the level uh that division uh division three is in the states.
1: Yeah, it is pretty darn high level. Again, like the, the, at the top of the top of some of these good D three programs, there are some very legitimate like overseas pro caliber players. So, uh, yeah, shout out to Carthage for Division three. And uh, while we're on the topic of guys that play VLA, I wanted to unveil on this show, or at least go over on this show for uh, the second time, my power rankings of the Volleyball League of America right now because there's there's been some spicy but some spicy stuff that's happened lately. Yeah, and we, we talked about it a couple of weekends ago when we had two events at the same time, but uh, LVC still sitting at this top of my power rankings. They're going to be in action in Boston this weekend. It's uh, them Boston Bows and Northeast force playing regular season in the last, uh, last event before the VLA cup in like three weeks. So, which is going to be insane, but these are kind of my perceptions of the teams going in a team pineapples kind of on the rise. They had a really good weekend against Iceman and Milwaukee the weekend before, Going into the VLA Cup, it's a lot more like packed of a tier one division than I initially thought it was. I thought that the Chicago IceMen were the best team in this league by far, but they've stumbled a couple times this year. Uh, the Northeast Force were they were they started zero and four, but they're playing a lot better. So uh, th- there's some good stuff going on in the VLA, and the the Boston regular season event this weekend is very much a, a just a, an appetizer for the gigantic twenty team vla cup coming up the second weekend of may so uh mark your calendars for that but if you want to watch vla this weekend from boston it'll be live on youtube uh, all weekend saturday and sunday this is missing
0: arguably the best team in the vla though
1: ruckus oh yeah ruckus Ruckus would can and would beat any of these teams and and they're they play out of tier two like tier two is stacked ruckus is i know i know it's really good dive is good like everybody's good in that division it's awesome I know I know you guys are fine with it, but man,
0: that would I would be so annoyed if our best team was just chilling in tier two. Like just just like being like, No, I don't wanna I don't I don't wanna I don't wanna get promoted. Uh because they, I, I'd love to see them up against some of the some of the best because they've beat the best.
1: They have, and I might or might not be strongly rooting for a tier one team to win the VLA Cup, but uh we will see what happens. Regardless, that tournament's gonna be insane. There will be some actually some very big news about that coming out in the next week or two, so uh, follow the VLA on Instagram at VLA Volleyball. And we've got a show that Vince and I do called Around the VLA where we talk about a lot of this stuff more. So if you like the idea of North American professional volleyball, it would be cool if we had your support and you watched some of the matches this weekend because those three East Coast teams are going to be good. And uh, you'll get a little preview of what you're going to see in Indiana in three weeks. So Sick. that's about it for that. And before we wrap up the show, Everett, tell the people about BetUS.
0: Well, unfortunately you can't find the VLA on BetUS yet uh i'm sure only a matter of there. time only yeah. a matter of time i'm sure you guys are working on that but you can find pretty much anywhere anything else if you like watching sports betting on sports just makes it better you know it gets a little steak a lot it gets a little exciting you win some money you buy your wife a nice little something it's a good time all right so that's why we've partnered with the bet us they are america's favorite sports book they've been around since 1994 they are true ogs in the great in the game and if you use the link below and use the code volley 125 uh on when you make your deposit, you will get a hundred and twenty five percent deposit bonus when you deposit a hundred dollars or more. Now what that means is you deposit a hundred, you come out with two twenty five. It's literally free money. It's it's free money. You can bet on the super league or, or scudetto games are going on tomorrow you can bet on champions league soccer games you can bet on baseball which has a million games a day right the nba, NBA playoffs are go you know bet on the raptors right now because they're going to go and pull the reverse sweep on the the 76ers <laughs> just you watch like they are not losing like like if sh- i'm going to tell you right now sure bet thursday night the raptors are going to beat uh beat the 76ers at home to uh force a game seven and i'm sure they're going to be the underdog in that one because they're still down to uh 2 to 3 but i regardless go to you bet you yes use our code use the uh use the code volley125 to get 125% deposit
1: bonus and just be happy people it's free money and it's it's definitely sports betting season uh volleyball basketball you name it it's all there and if you use volley125 it kicks us back a good amount here at volleyball source so we would appreciate that strongly, and if you join the Discord, you want to learn about how to sports bet, you want to learn how to bet on volleyball. Uh, beach volleyball is a really fun one to bet on. Uh, Johnny Boy, yes. the Discord is all over that. He he can he can show you the ropes and uh, put that 125% deposit match to very good use. So, Everett, I think that's about it. We got that's, so much volleyball. It. Tomorrow, so much. Bundesliga, men's semifinals, both of them. Women's semifinals, women's semifinals in semifinals. Italy. We got uh, Zaxa on saturday we got vla this weekend we got ncaa tournament starting on sunday lot going where, where, on. where can we watch the ncaa tournament that is a great question i think a lot of it is on ncaa.com at least the early rounds definitely okay, are good. i think that's set semis good. and finals are, are will be on espn some one of the espn networks and that might get I a think little I saw tricky. The finals on espn too Okay, that might get a little tricky outside the US, but the first couple I'm pretty sure will just be on yep, NCAA.com and make sure. The finals you... are just
0: going to be live on NCAA.com as well.
1: Okay, okay. Uh, and actually, the last year, those were surprisingly very good broadcasts. So uh, I'm looking forward to those. Those shouldn't be geo blocked. So. And if they are, come to the Discord. We will help you out with where you can watch any of these matches, not just NCAA, but any of them all around the world. If you need help how to find them, if you want a community of people to talk trash about the games with, the Volleyball Source Discord is the best spot. So hit the link in the description for that. Oh, I'm frozen.
0: There we go. We're back. back. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Make sure you check out the Discord. Make sure you check out BetUS. Make sure you just check out Volleyball in general. Don't support Titans volleyball and uh, have a good week. <laughs> make sure to make sure to check out uh, make sure to check out Rob on uh, uh, the European volleyball show tomorrow. Uh, interviewing Paolo Egonu.
1: Yes, that will be very I'm very asking, fun. I'm jealous
0: about that. That's gonna be awesome.
1: Thank you. So looking forward to that. Have a good week, boys and girls. We'll see you next Tuesday. Peace out. Peace.